James, I've got three questions. Where did you get all this hardware? Why did you get it? And did you put this on the podcast credit card? I got it all off some dog wearing a sombrero. And no, not on the credit card. As for why, today's show got me curious how much force you need to break an everlasting gobstopper. You mean those weak jawbreakers you can get at the dollar store? Nah, those are child's play. I'm talking a legit one from the Gene Wilder movie. This sucker is authentic and should take over 1,000 PSI to... Reveal to me that I broke a plastic movie prop that I could have sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow, the actual flavor of those things is personal bankruptcy. Who knew? There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello once again, everyone. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome to the Pemmy and James Kind of Sort of Hopefully Funny Cartoon Podcast. I'm glad you get to say that title every time and I don't. (laughs) (laughs) And before we dive into our subject, we just want to first say thank you for helping us reach over 2,000 downloads. Thanks, everyone. We couldn't have done it without you. You're the people that keep us going. And absolutely keep the comments and requests coming. But for today, our subject should start with a question. Could this be the single most successful dare of all time? I I don't know. Double dare exists. Oh, yeah. But, you see, Danny Antonucci was a fairly well-known animator and artist, having started work with Hanna-Barbera doing drawings and the like for some of their early 80s output before striking out on his own and creating the short Lupo the Butcher as a means of venting his frustrations at his perceived confinement in kids' animation. Did you ever see that short? Uh, I don't think I saw the actual short, but I remember seeing like an MTV promo that they used with him. He certainly made a sharp turn with that short and the following work he did with his own company, AKA Cartoons, whose first project was, in fact, another MTV collaboration, the short-lived series The Brothers Grunt, which was about bizarre humanoid creatures named after the Rat Pack. It bombed. Yeah, it was odd. I do remember seeing that as a kid and just being like, what the F is this? So after that experiment, Danny was dared to return to kids' animation. And the result was a nearly 11-year run on Cartoon Network for Ed, Ed, and Eddie, the sixth of the Cartoon Cartoons brand of shows and one of the longest-running programs in the network's history, for an original program at least. Yeah, I mean, 11 seasons is nothing to sneeze at. Well, years. Over, I think, was six seasons. Ah. Yeah, the, the rate of ordering episodes got a little odd. But the ratings kept coming in for those episodes that they had, so they kept ordering more. If I remember right, wasn't this show the last uh, 
the last show Cartoon Network did with uh, actual hand-drawn cells or something like that? I'm not 100% sure. I don't know where Kids Next Door would stand in the order of things with that. And was Kid Next Door on hand-drawn cells? I don't know. I just remember hearing something like that. I could be wrong. This is more, you know more about this show than I do. So, Well, future James will have to jump in here with a double check. As it turns out, Pemmy was actually really close to the mark. Future James here, as promised. And it turns out, Ed, Ed, and Eddie was the last to be hand-painted. According to this article from Collider, after being inked on clear cells, the drawings were flipped over and painted in before being photographed over backgrounds. This was the standard practice in animation from before the sound era to the 1980s. At that point, technology allowed for digital ink and paint applied directly to the scanned drawings, and this became the norm for animated features starting with the 90s. The system was slower in coming to television. At the start of the Cartoon Cartoon line of programs, every series was still using cells. And as the 90s wrapped up and the millennium turned, the hand-painted clubs saw dwindling membership. The Eds would only see digital painting done to their cell drawings starting with the fifth season. That's about as much as I can get out of this, and thank you very much to Collider and author William Fisher for the information. So, our show is centered on a simple cul-de-sac in the town of Peach Creek, where a trio of preteen kids, the titular Eds, conspire to fleece the other kids in the neighborhood of their money so they can buy jawbreakers. These plans almost invariably and inevitably fail in spectacular ways. I've never been a big fan of Jawbreakers, but hey, everybody's got to have a thing they like. Yeah, that's true. Now, the Eds are a classic comedic trio, akin, though not identical, to groups like the Three Stooges or the Aqua Teen Hunger Force. You have Eddie, the de facto leader of the bunch who concocts the schemes and has far more ambition and self-assurance than smarts. Tony Sampson voices him, using the same voice he'd give Fred in Transformers Armada, and a similar voice to Berserker in X-Men Evolution. Now the other Ed, or Double D to not be confused with the, uh, with the other other Ed, let alone Eddie. Or the other other Double Ds. Yeah. Is actually very smart, but also weak-willed, neurotic, and retiring. Thus, his insight is almost always ignored. Sam Vincent, known for his work as several core parts of the Baby Looney Tunes cast, and Flim, of the Flim Flam Brothers in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, gives Double D his eternally nervous voice. And finally, you have Ed with 1D. If you put him in an IQ test with a bag of hammers, odds are three to four the bag of hammers would win against this non-sequitur spouting lunatic with the strength of an ox and the imagination of an entire art school overdosing on energy drinks. That reminds me, I need a monster. (laughs) Not sponsored by Monster Energy Drink, sorry. He's performed by Matt Hill, previously known as the lead character in Captain N, the Game Master, and also Kira Yamato in the Gundam Seed subdivision of that many-headed franchise. If I remember right, he was also Soren on uh, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Okay. Uh, one of the Wonderbolts. 
Now, the other kids in the cul-de-sac are generally there to contrast the Eds. We're not going to get into their voice actors just yet. We will mention them as they come up in the show. To start, you've got Jimmy, an effeminate, fragile kid with a massive dental device who's protected by Ed's younger sister, Sarah, who has just about had it with everything around her but Jimmy. That's relatable. (laughs) Kevin is the archetypical bullying jock, quicker with fists and wisecracking put-downs than actual wits, and he's positioned as Eddie's main rival. And you have Naz, the cool and reasonably normal, by this show's standards, athletic type who occasionally dips into dumb blonde territory and is frequently competed over for for her affections by the boys. Now, these kids are fairly run-of-the-mill compared to the Eds, but the rest of the cast gives them a real run for their money in terms of being head cases. Take, for example, Johnny 2x4, a big-headed chatterbox who is never without his best friend, Plank, a literal 2x4 of wood with a goofy smiley face drawn on it. Weirdly, Plank is probably the character I know best in this entire show because they always would reference him some way or some form in uh, Cartoon Network bumpers. Mm -hmm. Rolf, meanwhile, is a foreign kid of purposefully indeterminate origin who tends to the farmland and animals in his home. You think he'd be questionable by today's standards? Well, I think, I don't know, because he comes from... An honest place. He's derived from Antonucci's own life experiences, being a first-generation immigrant to Canada with a family very, very much keeping their Italian cultural tendencies alive in their new home. His purpose is to be the living embodiment of culture shock. Makes sense. He gives me some mad, uh, perfect stranger vibes. Hmm. <laughs> He also might tie Ed for some of the most quotable lines of the show. If only I could have them at the ready. (laughs) And finally, three characters we won't be seeing in the episodes we picked. The Canker Sisters. Lee, Marie, and May. A trio of demented half-sisters with out-of-control crushes on the Eds who live in a nearby trailer park and terrify the entire cul-de-sac with their wild tempers and impulses. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Demented stalkers in a kid's cartoon. And not the first example I can think of either. Yeah, I think if I think stalker in a cartoon show, the thing, first thing I always think of is Pepe Le Pew, but... Yeah. <laughs> now, quickly back to the subject of voice actors... It's worth mentioning in the first episode of the first season, and only in that episode, Naz is performed by Canada's woman of a thousand voices, Tabitha St. Germain. Nice, I actually didn't know that. Rarity herself. Yep. So, since we're looking at episodes from season two and three, and not anything from that very first episode, this was going to be our only opportunity to mention her. And we love us some Tabitha St. Germain on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I've met her once. She's a really cool lady. She also voiced uh, Cootie Pie Koopa from the uh, Super Mario 3 cartoon. Yep, and multitudes of other roles. But yeah, that's the extent of the cast through the entire series. This show went five seasons comprising 55 two-segment episodes, plus a quartet of specials and a made-for-TV movie finale, 
with all but that movie using exactly that core group of characters and no more. Antonucci's team got a lot out of this cast of cut-ups, giving them animated life with boiling lines, in his words, to harken back to the short subjects of the 30s and setting the action to a jazz and rockabilly-influenced musical score. I was going to say, everyone I watched it was watching the episodes that were reviewing this. The soundtrack reminded me of something, but I can't remember now, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, no. The, the soundtrack kind of gave me some Rocco Modern Life vibes. Okay. Spot. Okay, I, I can kind of see that. So, before we dive into the episodes, did you have anything you wanted to add right now, buddy? No, not particularly. I didn't really watch this show uh, when it originally aired. So I kind of came into this blind. Like, I've seen a couple of episodes and it didn't click with me, but was definitely willing to, you know, give it another look because it's been years since I really watched it. So, well, we got started with a kid's slice of life staple a story of, of a loose tooth with Floss Your Ed, written by Antonucci and Jono Howard. Wait, this is about a loose tooth? I thought this was about dancing. Have you ever heard of uh, the dance flossing? Oh, if this is our attempt at staying modern with the current kids, we may as well just be saying, hello, fellow young person. (laughs) I'll I'll get my skateboard to droop over my shoulder. (laughs) So as we open, the latest scam is in progress. Ed's Sea Adventure, with Eddie as King Triton, and the back lot turned into the finest undersea paradise that can be scrambled together with crayons, rubbish, and stubbornness. I, you, I'm not going to lie. If I was a kid and I knew someone doing stuff like this, I'd totally pay to see it. And we have Ed as a barnacle merfolk uh, thing. And to make sure he gets his lines right, he lip syncs to a recording Eddie made and gives the game away revealing the boombox under his massive hat. Though Johnny 2x4, their lone customer, doesn't mind one bit. And Johnny, by the way, is the most famous role of actor David Paul Grove. Wow. I've never really heard of him much outside of this series, so yeah, that checks out. Well, I don't know who's the voice actor for Plank, but I gotta say, he's pretty wooden. (laughs) So the... Attempts at undersea shenanigans lead to Johnny being launched into an old office water cooler where he's then spun around in and poured out from. We've been pickled, Plank! (laughs) Yeah, Johnny's the right sort of oddball to love this sort of thing, but he could only pay him coconuts. Fortunately for the Eds, they all work on cartoon logic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, these coconuts pique Ed's curiosity, and Double D has to tell him coconuts are for eating, not shaving. Like report cards? This, friends, is Ed Logic 101. They should just let Ed uh, shave them. Yeah, especially considering what happens next. Ed launches them up in an attempt to eat them from the air. One knocks him on the noggin, but the other does land right in his mouth. And we have a dental emergency. The hurting is so bad we can hear the tinnitus. Yes. While Eddie thinks it's a ploy to wear the beard as part of his King Triton disguise, Double D calls for an inspection 
and he determines it's Ed's last baby tooth. And the second the tooth fairy is mentioned, Eddie's greed overcomes him yet again. To the point to where he, like, paints a giant circle that says Ed onto the, the fence, claiming it's a jawbreaker. Yeah. Double D wants the natural course of, of the tooth removal to be left to go on its own. But that's not stopping Eddie. Now, the paint on this jawbreaker trick isn't even dry yet, which is both a nice storytelling touch and more proof that Ed's intelligence is measured in units of chicken feathers. Yeah, I, I like that it literally has him holding the paintbrush and then and then him... The, the animation is nice because, I mean, I like how they had him holding the paintbrush and he actually realizes he's still holding the paintbrush while doing it and quickly tries to get rid of it. Double D thinks this trick won't work, but his protestations put him in the path of Ed's hungry mouth. That is not the last thing I want to see before I black out. <laughs> yeah, with Double D giving a line that I'm... Sure, I can use an eclipse somewhere because, wow. <laughs> now, all this only made the tooth budge just a little bit. And Eddie, in his frustration, just grabs Ed's unibrow and tries to shake it loose. Double D is still trying to get him to listen to reason, but Eddie distracts him with an anthill, which the inquisitive Double D can't help but inspect. Ants well, are pretty impressive when you think about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It can hold ten times their own weight. But now, out come the boxing gloves. And Ed, of course, is wearing one on his head. Say whiplash! Hi, Mom! Bam. <laughs> yeah. Double D races in at the last possible second, and Ed insists they were just playing, slugging one on Eddie for emphasis, knocking the schemer out of the frame, and then knocking Double D around, then Eddie again. The Mike Tyson star punch level punch. Mm-hmm. Now it's time to try and get the other kids involved, as wanted posters are plastered all over the fence surrounding the cul-de-sac. Kevin and Rolf walk by, and the former smells a scheme. Now, Kevin is voiced by Kathleen Barr, whose extensive credits include Cologne in the English dub of Rodman One Half, and the great and powerful Trixie! In My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. <laughs> Sorry, you used the great and powerful Trixie, and all I remember is there's this set of bloopers from My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, and I think one of them was uh, Trixie actually <laughs> calls people, uh, <laughs> I, I guess I'm not supposed to swear on this show, but uh, says the B word, I'll say that, and, oh. and, pretty, and she's like, and you can hear the director like, yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> she's like, like Keep that. Of course, we last saw Kathleen Barr on this podcast as Morgan in the Darkstalkers syndicated cartoon. Uh, yeah. Wait, mm. was that her? I thought Sefford Henderson was was Morgan. Or maybe it was the anime version. I, I, I gotta double check that now. While you're double checking that, Rolf, meanwhile, is performed by actor and comedian Peter Kalamis, best known as one of the many, many English voices of Goku. A few moments later. Kathleen Barr's in it as Harry's mom. Uh, but yeah, Saffron Henderson is Morgan. Okay, my mistake. She is in it, though. Anyhow, Eddie says it's the smell of money, 
and Rolf replies that it's actually the smell of his mom boiling the fat from his dad's undershirts. Ew. Yeah. Before Eddie can make his pitch, Sarah storms in looking for Jimmy. Now, Sarah's voice actor is Janice Dodd, also known for the English voice of Felicia in the aforementioned Darkstalkers anime. Um, and you were right, though. Kathleen Barr was Morgan in the anime, but not the uh, TV show. Okay. I got, I got my Darkstalkers crossed up. It's fair, because uh, they actually share a lot of the same voice actors in those two shows, so that's mm. not surprising. Who did you say played her? Janice Jod. Yeah, she was Felicia in the anime, but not the uh, TV show. Right. And Jimmy okay. here is performed by Keenan Christensen. Oh, and Jimmy is also stuck behind one of the wanted posters. I wonder how Eddie did that, or if he even did that on accident. So, Eddie is recruiting help for... His words, training the Tooth Fairy, which Kevin replies with no deal. And Eddie, of course, goes into deal mode, offering 10% of the take. The kids negotiate up to 50%, and Eddie protests that it's almost half. He must be the one feeding Ed report cards. <laughs> unfortunately, he gives in. And, or, well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on opinion, he gives in to... To the 50%. Yeah. When we return back to Ed, he's trying to eat a brick. Double D insists he eats softer foods. And just as they're about to start debating, Rolf is the first up to proverbial bat by trying his butter-churning technique. A plunger. You know, I just hope butter is the only thing that things touched. Eddie's cheering him on then tries to pass it off as Rolf being confused as Double D looks at him in his own confused astonishment. And all Rolf gets is launched into a garbage can with the plunger stick stuck in his ears through his head. And Ed has the plunger cup stuck on his face with the loose tooth still in his mouth. All I have to say is uh, to that scene with Rolf is that looks painful. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now Sarah's idea is to hook a jump rope to the tooth and let Jimmy do the jumping. With Sarah having convinced her big brother, Ed, that nothing soothes pain like a nylon rope. Of course, Ed believes this. Yeah, from his expression, it looks like it's working, too. But then she reveals her true plan, jumping over a tree and dangling Ed by the rope over a tree branch, eliminating the placebo-soothing effect. The power of suggestion. Mm-hmm. Eddie leaps onto Ed to finish the job, but just sends them and Sarah crashing to the ground. Another person giving up on this scheme. Yeah. So as Double D once again fails to implore Eddie to be patient, Kevin acts with Ed's other favorite food, buttered toast. In this case, attached to a fishing line, which Ed chases like a cat pursuing a dot from a laser pointer. And Double D, well... He's just ashamed that Eddie enlisted Kevin into the scheme, as Kevin struggles to remove the tooth that's as stubborn as an ingrown back hair, at least according to Rolf. Well, the scheme kind of works. Yeah, Double D finally gets Ed to admit this is all another plan, as the combined might of Rolf, Kevin, and Eddie uproots the tree Ed was clinging onto for dear life. And they get a tooth out! 
Eddie's tooth. But since it's his tooth, and not Ed's, he doesn't have to share any of the tooth fairy money. Kevin just grumbles away, and Rolf follows, offering to re-sole Kevin's shoes? That's a non-sequitur even by his standards. I do have to say, I did like the uh, bit with uh, with Double D tricking Eddie into admitting what he's doing. Yeah. Now, Double D also has to point out that the Tooth Fairy only comes at night while folks are asleep, and the candy store closes in half an hour. So the impatient Eddie prepares to put Ed to sleep. Cue a massive landing pad atop Eddie's house, with Double D waving flashlights and Ed pretending to sleep. It does make me wonder why Double D even bothers with trying to help with these situations sometimes. The still isn't fast enough for Eddie, so in a fit of impulsiveness, he jumps on Ed's bed to get him to, to keep pretending to sleep, and the Force sends the bed and all three Eds off the roof and hanging on the rain gutter by Ed's loose tooth, which finally, fully, comes out of his mouth. Unfortunately, it means that his tooth, his now-removed tooth and Eddie's tooth both fall into the rain gutter. And as Eddie scolds Ed for losing the teeth up there, Ed inhales the contents of the gutter to retrieve the teeth, then eats the contents, teeth and all. It's not the craziest thing I've seen him consume, period. I know there's a, one episode that has a scene where he tries to eat his own bed. So we get a non-sequitur callback to Barnacle Ed, and the episode ends with two out of three Eds laughing. Believe it or not, that's one of the less painful results of a scheme I've seen. Yeah, not exactly. Yeah, yeah, just, man, man. Both those teeth are lost. If Eddie just had a little more patience, they could have had some money. We will be right back with arguably my favorite episode of the entire series. Hey, when we come back, I got dibs on all the Mako scenes. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, you probably noticed the silence in the background here. You see, to hype up the next episode, I only need to play one short sound. That's right, the Transformers. The robots in disguise that took 80s kids' imaginations by storm and no doubt absolutely baffled parents of the day are rolling out in two weeks. Admit it, you missed us! Okay, I'll give you a quarter. Oh, how I wish, how I wish you were Ed. Wait, that's not how the song goes. So yeah, we're about to discuss Wish You Were Ed, which is written by James Wooten, a.k.a. Woody. And this is the very first episode for the third season. Uh, well, it's a storyboard by James Wooty Wooten. It was written by uh, John O'Howard. Oh, okay. My mistake. And, oh, John O'Howard and Danny Antonuti. Uh, right. They both wrote it. Okay. With direction by Danny so this episode opens with Jimmy carting Sarah around in a toy car, to which she's never satisfied, to the point where Jimmy develops oddly adorable road rage. <laughs> which he even gets kind of upset about. Yeah, this cues the other kids on their assorted wheels, 
including Naz, who was absent for the prior episode. Now, here in Season 3, she's performed by Jen Forgey, another Canadian anime dubbing veteran who also voices Mei Kanker in the series. But for the rest of the show's run, Naz and Mei are performed by Aaron Fitzgerald, whose numerous voice credits include Parasol and Hive in the fighting game Skullgirls, and Kai nice. Wen-Gi in some of the more recent Dynasty Warriors games. Nice. The eventual point of all of this is to reveal that Rolf does not own a bike or roller skates or scooter or otherwise. Just his pig Wilfred, a box for a seat, and a carrot on a stick to get Wilfred to move. Rolf isn't phased by the laughter and jeers, challenging the kids to a race to the fermented cane outlet, or the candy store in plain English. And the kids promptly leave Rolf in the dust. Do we need to talk about the picture that Rolf shows the pig to get him to run? Mm. Yeah, it's a picture of piglets suckling up to a mommy pig. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> but it works! Well, Too well. Kinda. <laughs> yeah, Wilfred starts going so fast, Rolf falls off his ride, landing next to the Eds, with Eddie and Double D trying to get Ed out from both sides of a public mailbox. I feel like there's a story there. There's a whole story there that we need to know that we don't learn. <laughs> right. Eddie asks Rolf for some grease, but Rolf is practically catatonic. He longs for his old home, bemoaning the... Well, you know what? Why don't you just hear for yourself? I grow tired of this, this cold cement, this, this twisted steel of industry, this confusing leisure delights, and your ill at customs! <laughs> Rolf sweats himself to understand your modern go-go world! But here is the simple life. The life once had in the old country. As he mopes off, Eddie declares him a mood killer, and Double D eloquently protests Rolf's case to the others. Which, surprisingly, Ed understands more better than Eddie. (laughs) Yeah, Ed sums it up as homesickness, startling Eddie since Ed removed himself from the mailbox all by himself off-screen. And this leads to another great Ed one-liner. Yeah, this is my. I, I think this is my favorite line from the episodes we watched, which is like, "How'd you get here?" It's like, "Blame my parents, Eddie." So it only takes Eddie one moment to concoct a scheme out of this. Ed volunteers his aid in his inimitable fashion, and Double D reluctantly says he'll salvage what's left of this plot. Crossfade to Rolf scrubbing some sort of root vegetable when he hears one of his cows being loudly milked and finds the Eds trying a mock cereal bit with tennis balls as the cereal. I'm more curious how the Eds got the milking device. Oh, I'm sure Double D whipped it up. Double D knows about milking? I feel like there's a joke there, but I can't say it because of the children. Fair. Let's not milk that any further. (laughs) So Eddie wants the illusion set up before Rolf shows up, but he notices Rolf and just jumps into the act anyway, claiming they wished for a big box of Chunky Puffs, and voila! There it was! But how did they get this wish granted? Mm -hmm. 
Rolf wants to know more, despite Double D barely being able to contain his incredulity at this haphazard scheme. But since Rolf is caught, Eddie goes on, claiming it was Ed's magic shoe. And Rolf is humbled by the stench of destiny. We get a cute little yes-no bit, and Rolf pays a few quarters for the privilege of asking the shoe to return him home. And boy, howdy, that stench was so bad it knocked him the F out. Yeah, Eddie basically instructs him to make the wish and take a big whiff of Ed's impossibly stinky shoe, which has the desired and predicted effect despite Double D's protests. I mean, who made those shoes, Pepe Le Pew? I'm more concerned with the negligence of Ed's parents for not washing them. But then again, the negligence of these parents... Those shoes is the least of their concerns. Yeah, this is one of those shows where you you wonder where the parents are. But I mean, I, I assume this is all supposed to happen while the parents are at work or something. Probably. So when Rolf comes to, he's surrounded by a cardboard, tape, and marker masterpiece, quote-unquote, replica of his home. I use replica in scare quotes because the architectural styles and depicted flora are all over the dang place and have no consistency. Palm trees. And an Arabian palace, sharing the scenery with a European castle. I'm going to give credit where credit's due. I think they earned those quarters just by all this work alone. Mm-hmm. Also, how long was Ralph out? <laughs> so, Ralph wonders if his wish came true and goes to investigate the well, only to almost drink up a big old bug. And since the water is infested, just like his old home, he buys into the gag! So for a change, Double D is actually satisfied with his work, having made good use of his encyclopedia of old world culture. Hey, when you can make use of something you have knowledge of, why not? Or something you have reference of. Yeah. Why else do you think we're doing this podcast? But trying to make <laughs> use of something we have knowledge of. Yeah. I hurt myself. <laughs> Eddie wants to spend his cash, and Ed follows in the wrong direction, but Double D restrains them. You see, according to him, Rolf's wish must be honored, and they have to keep up the illusion or else they're sunk. That's true. I don't think he's going to be very happy if they, once he realizes, you know, he's been hornswoggled. Now, Rolf wanting to purchase an eel made from a sock from the uh, mock fishmonger stand is all Eddie needs to hear to comply with that concept. And it turns out negotiations in Rolf's home country are conducted while balanced on poles by their midsections. I, I just now noticed that one of the uh, fish at the uh, fish stand has a chainsaw attached to it. <laughs> Random but amusing gag. Eddie says the whole negotiation process is stupid and puts Double D up to it. Double D starts negotiations off asking for three oranges. And Rolf counters with two chickens. Eddie starts to protest, but Ed overrules with force. Ed really wants those chickens. Now, the negotiations take odd turns that even Double D can't make sense of. But in the end, Ed gets his chickens. 
Rolf is elated, Double D is in pain, and Ed? Well, he continues to do Ed things is about the only way I can describe it. Pretty much. W words would make this less funny. You just have to see it. <laughs> Might make a good choice for the splash image for the YouTube version, though. Ooh, that is true. Well, he, he got he got the chicken, so I guess you could say uh, they didn't cluck up. Huh. Nope. Well, Ed's a real chick magnet. <laughs> Actually, you know, two chickens and uh, possibly 75 cents? The Eds aren't doing too bad with this. No. Of course, Eddie wants more. And he's trying to make up customs to bilk Rolf. But no such luck, since Rolf says something in his native tongue that Eddie can't make out. And Ed continues doing his strange thing and falls into the hole Rolf dug, which Rolf proclaims is cause for a celebration. He implores Double D, still dressed as the fishmonger's wife, to play the song of his village. And Double D frantically goes through the encyclopedia and comes across, That's my horse! And a jug. Yep. It turns out the song has an accompanying dance where the participants proclaim, That's my horse! And inflict increasingly violent pain upon each other. I, I think this is a custom made for Ed. <laughs> We get some great slapstick chicanery with this. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a bit of trivia I found while researching this. Oh. See, assaulting your partner while dancing to That's My Horse may be a reference to Schuplatting, a Bavarian folk dance in which the dancers slap their knees, soles, and occasionally each other by direct physical contact or using objects. This is speculated upon by the uh, the Ed, Ed, and Eddie wiki. Because, of course, there's a wiki. There's a wiki for everything now. Pretty much is. Sometimes multiple. But yeah, like you implied, Ed cottons to this whole routine quickly, and the violence escalates to giddy degrees. With even the other Eds enjoying the spectacle, but not, yeah. parta not partaking in the actions. Right. But, you know, Rolf's having a good time. Ed's right in his home element. What's to complain about? Well, it turns out there is something to complain about. The third spectator. Johnny 2 by 4 has somehow wandered into the scene. And this is upsetting because he can easily ruin the... The, uh, how the illusion. It? The illusion, thank you. So the loon with the plank makes a crazy run for it when Eddie tries to keep him out. And... Eddie has to pass Johnny off as a badger to Rolf while kicking Johnny into the scenery. The domino effect has begun. Johnny retreats, knocking over more scenery in the process, and Rolf gets wise. And he is not happy. <laughs> to say the least, Double D, in a panic, tries to pass off the whole thing as wanting to share Rolf's cultural heritage, and Rolf takes it upon himself to teach them and starts playing, That's my horse! And Ed snaps right into the dance. And the other Eds suffer at the jovial maiming their stronger third gives them. You know what? All things said, they still partially got away with this. I mean, they got 75 cents and two chickens. Yeah. And a headache, among other <laughs> aches. <laughs> yeah. And everything ache. But what strikes me about it, about Ed, Ed, and Eddie is it just feels so apart. 
from the other really successful Cartoon Network programs in this early era of their branching out into original programming. Uh, yeah, the art style, the anima- the animation art style is completely different. The humor style is completely different. Also, the kind of, like, insane take on kind of uh, mundane things is also done, which is... Yeah. Yeah. Like you, like you say, the art style contrasted against the more angular, bold line artwork and the more grounded scenarios contrasted the more over-the-top material of shows like Dexter's Laboratory, the Powerpuff Girls, and Johnny Bravo, which were all contemporaries of the early seasons of Ed, Ed, and Eddie. And, you know, this is probably part of why the series earned such a massively devoted fan base. Speaking for myself, I have a lot of fondness for this show because it brings me back to college and another of my friends from that era who, sadly, I've lost touch with fellow named Matt. I'm ashamed I can't even remember his last name. But every Monday before wrestling came on, we'd watch the Eds and just enjoy the surreal paint job applied to the vision of suburban life from Antonucci's mind. I I never really got into this show when it originally aired. Rewatching it now, it's good, but it's still, I I guess it's not my thing, so to speak. And I know it makes me feel kind of bad because I know a lot of people really love this show because I constantly hear people saying how much they love the show, but I don't know. It, like I said, it's good. It's just, I don't feel the need to go and watch more of it, unfortunately. Uh, I do like a lot of things about it, though. I love the animation style. The, the squiggly line animation style is really nice. Really good fr- uh, breath of fresh air. And the expressions are amazing, because almost every scene, anytime you pause this, you're going to get at least one good expression. Now. I personally wouldn't go so far to call it the greatest thing i ever seen, but I do think it's a very well-executed vision, with some infinitely quotable characters, and genuinely good gags, both visual and spoken. And of course, in terms of memorability, it helps that the show has spawned probably the single most memorable of all of Cartoon Network's promotional bumpers in the form of the song My Best Friend Plank and its accompanying video. I remember that. And the show lives Uh, on with a particularly popular music video pairing Ed with the voice of the song, Your Love. You know, I just want to use your love tonight. And once you see it, you can never unsee it. I also know there's an episode. uh, I also know there was a... Cartoon Network uh, bumper that had uh, Ed date Daphne Blake from Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. That put a particularly uh, on-the-nose spin on the nickname Double D. (laughs) Now, as far as where you can watch the show, only the first two full seasons ever made it to DVD until very, very recently, with a new all-season set that unfortunately excludes the holiday specials and the feature-length finale. Meanwhile, various on-demand services have various configurations, with the easiest way to watch the show these days via HBO Max, where all episodes can be streamed for now. Yeah. Yeah. All around me are familiar faces. Oh, sorry. (laughs) 
Yeah, the two of us are looking warily in HBO Max's direction in the wake of the removal of all those Looney Tunes shorts and Flintstones episodes. Yep. Or heck, just the looking in the direction of Warner Brothers in general. Basically. Oh. Anyhow, it's time to restock the breakfast cereal. Do they even make a Jawbreaker favorite breakfast cereal? Not that I'm aware of, but... Me neither. But I've seen Twinkie cereal, so... And... Sour Patch Kids cereal, so... Maybe? And Nerd Cereal. There's Nerd Cereal? I didn't know about there that. There was one. a Nerd Cereal once. Nerds! Oh. <laughs> well, folks, we'll see you next time. See ya! And by the way, Pemmy, that's my horse! <laughs> that's my horse! Oh! <laughs> sure you can! No! What have I started? <laughs> the penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Sean Michael Smith.